Hello and welcome to the South American Football Show on the World Football Index. I'm your host, Adam Brandon, and today on this show we're arguably at full strength to talk about all the action from the first week of the Copa Libertadores group stage, as I've got Austin, Tom and Simon all joining me. I'll come to Austin first. Austin, are you any closer to moving down this way? Um, sure, yeah, yeah, we'll go with yes on that. Um, dealing with bureaucracy still in the United States first, and I haven't even gotten to the experience of dealing with South American bureaucracy. So it is on the horizon, but maybe not right there yet. But it'll happen, I promise. I'm not lying to everybody. I swear, I'm going to move to Argentina at some point. And, uh, and Tom, are you going to move to Argentina at some point? At some point, definitely, but it's uh, it's probably not on the cards for a few years at the very least. But I'm yeah hoping to be down there at least uh, at least once this year. Um, so yeah, I'm sure maybe maybe me and Austin can record a spotlight pod in person for the first time. And uh, Simon, are you happy in Colombia or are you considering a move down south? Well, I consider I consider maybe a transfer for the money's right. But I'm very happy with my current uh, employer, AFC Envigado, at the moment. Although I'm playing for a few other teams as well on the side. But Argentina's fun. Austin's going to enjoy Argentina. I'll be down there at some point again. But yeah, Medellin. Medellin is the home for me right now. Cool, cool. And let's get started with what was uh, interesting, if not sometimes dull, sometimes incredibly exciting week of Libertadores action. Um, a quarter of the games finished nil-nil. But one game had nine goals in it, and that was Universidad de Concepcion, five, Sporting Cristal, four. Um, even though this involved the Chilean side, unfortunately, I didn't watch it because at the same time this match was going on, I was watching Palestino Internacional. More about that later. Um, Simon and Austin, I know that you two definitely saw this one. Uh, it was a quite incredible game, though, a, a game that saw Patricio Rubiola, Chilean striker, net four goals, including an injury time winner after the Chilean side, side had uh, blown a two-goal lead twice. And yeah, like I said, I didn't actually see it live. So, Austin, what was it like? As you said, Adam, this was a, a week in the group stage where there maybe wasn't as many fireworks as, as we would have hoped for or expected. There were obviously some moments when you have 16 matches going in a week, you're going to have that. But in a week in which 10 games finished with either one or no goals in it, this was very clearly the exception. And after a kind of quiet start to the group stage on Tuesday, it looked like we could be heading that way on Wednesday as well. Uh, Universidad de Concepcion had scored before halftime, and it was 1-0, and it was okay, yeah, whatever. And, and then they get a two-goal lead. And then Sporting Cristal hit back for two to make it 2-2 with an hour played. And it's like, okay. At that point, I think I said, all right, this is turning into a pretty good match. You, sh you should probably turn this one on. And the fireworks hadn't even started yet. Uh, as you said, Concepcion pegged back from a two-goal advantage twice. Rubio scores his hat trick to put them up 4-2. You think, surely now this is done and dusted. Uh, Sporting Cristal had their chance to get it. Cristal pulled two more back to make it 4-4, uh, which is just wild. And then it still had another turn yet uh, with Rubio getting his, his fourth goal uh, his poker, as they call it, down in South America in injury time. Um, just a fantastic performance by Patricio Rubio. A fantastic display from both of these sides. Uh, this match, in a nutshell, is what we love about the Copa Libertadores. Two teams with you know, probably not a, a single player on them that 
you would tag as as a world class footballer or as you know one of the best to do it. And Rubio was impressive in this match. But two teams that put everything on the line and kind of threw caution to the wind, particularly in the case of Concepcion, who had plenty of chances to shut this match down, but decided that that's not how they were going to play on the night and ended up being rewarded for it with, with a 5-4 win. Um, Simon, this Concepcion performance was simultaneously impressive and also a bit frustrating, maybe from a tactical perspective. Yeah, no, absolutely. It was uh, There was basically no midfield in this game, which was, which was insane. One side would get the ball and then they'd run 40, 50 yards across the middle of the pitch to then attack the opposition defence. Um, Concepcion played, you know, three forwards pretty much the whole game um, with uh, Droguet kind of as a number 10, but really part of the forward line. And it was wide, wide open. Concepcion had multiple opportunities, as you say. Two goals up. Okay, so drop in a little bit, see things out for the next five minutes and, uh, you know, see the game out. Maybe nick one more. You know, the, the attacking options are there. It was it was clearly a game that both teams wanted to win. This is you know, a tough group and this, this is the game that, you know, they both pinpointed to get the three points to put them in a competitive position. But, uh, yeah, on another day, Concepcion lose 10-0 because... There was no midfield. Um, Sporting, again, they kind of had three instead of four strikers. (laughs) Um, So somewhat less attacking. But again, they had the width and they really did a lot of damage to Concepcion, getting the ball out wide early and running at pace. Um, Both sides look very short defensively. But again, this may be as a result of tactics. I felt that Concepcion was self-inflicted in terms of their tactics, whereas Sporting Cristal perhaps didn't look so strong in terms of personnel. But uh, yeah, for me, it was it was reckless in the extreme from Concepcion. They got away with it in the last minute, but I thought they they, they probably should have controlled this game a little bit more. Um, but uh, a lot of fun, a lot of great goals. Rubio, everything he hit flew into the top of the goal and some great finishes. A lot of fun. But uh, yeah, if you're a defensive-minded kind of football watcher or a coach, then maybe this one isn't going to be so, so enjoyable because it was insane. Adam, can you talk a bit about Patricio Rubio, the the Chilean striker who scored four in this game for Concepcion? Yeah, definitely. Um, This is actually the third time in his career he's managed this feat. Um, He scored four for Universidad de Chile against Antofagasta in, I think, 2013. He also did it just a few months ago. Probably in game-wise, it was probably only about seven or eight games ago because, you know, we've just had the long... Uh, summer break here in South America and uh, and whilst playing for Everton he was at Everton last season Everton Vinia Domar and uh, and he managed to score four goals against uh, Colo Colo yeah and of course he's done it again now um, the first Chilean born player to do so in the in the in the Libertadores so a great feat for him he's 29 now so coming towards the the back end of his career so it's not like a up and coming striker to look out for or something but he's but he's always been a fairly kind of inconsistent striker here in Chile he will have he will have some great moments like this but there will also be periods where he disappears so yeah when he's on it though i think i think i said to you guys like after he'd scored two goals that you know, he is suddenly capable of having, like, uh, one of these nights. And, uh, and yeah, that's, that's exactly what happened. Um, another person I want to speak about on the Universidad de Concepcion uh, victory is, is, their, is their coach, Bozan. Just picking up on something Simon said there 
about there being no midfield. It's quite strange that here in South America, like a lot of uh, a lot of the journalists sort of nickname him Pep Bozan. So you might think, judging by that, there's some kind of similarity to how maybe Guardiola plays, Manchester City play, all that. But anybody sort of watching this game would soon realise, you know, that there's no real style comparison there at all, apart from maybe that they both like to attack in a very broad sense. Um, I, I would say that Bozan is possibly more similar to... His, his philosophy is more sin, similar to Klopp in some ways. So that thing there of, of sometimes the midfield being bypassed very quickly, you know, you've got um, quick transitions, the counter press going on, always leaving free, fairly high up the pitch, you know, all, all of that's more in line with the, the ideas of Klopp rather than Guardiola. So, yeah, Bozan, yeah, I've praised him a lot on the, on the South American football show uh, last year and... Um, and I'm just hoping that maybe they can tighten up a little bit at the back, a little less chaos, as I think this group is wide open for them to qualify from now, especially as they've got this all-important three points to start with against one of the you know, key rivals for getting out of this group. Adam, very quickly, um, was Bozon the manager you said who was considering offers to leave? And then the group stage draw happened and decided to stay after looking at the draw or apparently looking at the draw? <laughs> yeah, yeah, it, it was him. That certainly seemed uh, to be the case from from my point of view of what happened. I can't, I can't remember if that was something which was confirmed or not that he actually did. But it certainly seemed like that. The, the rumours certainly seemed to go away quite quickly once he realised there was a bit of a chance of them possibly having a little bit of a run in this year's competition. But... It's too early to talk about that. They've, they've won one game at home, and only just having blown a two-goal lead twice. So let's see. But, but they actually face Olympia away on uh, Tuesday, uh, which will be a tricky one. The other game in this group, what I've read and heard, it sounded pretty much like the complete opposite to, to the game in Concepcion as it finished nil-nil in Mendoza between Godoy Cruz and uh, Olympia. Just a quick one, Adam, on on the Godoy Cruz nil nil snorefest with Olympia. That not a lot to say about it, but um, again, part of this theme of uh, sides that were decent a while ago in in Argentina, then being sort of stripped of their their best assets. Godoy Cruz, a classic one for that in terms of they lost their manager Diego Dabove, um, who's who went to bottom of the league, Argentina Studios, and has done quite a good job um, since then. Um, yeah, just them just being a shadow of, of, of themselves, really. I think with that in mind, it's, it's quite a good result against a, a decent Paraguayan side. I don't think there was a single shot in the on target on the first half from from either club. But yeah, now Lucas Bernardi's in charge, and he's just not that good. Um, so it was a shame that neither of the two strikers. Roque Santa Cruz or Morro Garcia were able to to light this game up, and I think they're both going to be quite crucial to to their to each of these uh, teams' chances. And and just a mention as well for the eighteen uh, year old Bajalde, who was who was thrown in there as is the number ten, one of his first games for the club. And uh, yeah, 
good to see that Godot Cruz bringing a, through, a few young players through. And I think that's all there is to say about that, really. The, the, the sooner we move on from this game, the better. So, yeah, Ude Conce, they travel to Paraguay to face Olympia on Tuesday, like I say. And uh, on the same night, Sporting Cristal play Godot Cruz um, in Lima. So, yeah, we're, we're no... We know more about how this group is shaping up after those ties, I think. Let's move on and talk about the reigning champions, River Plate. They're in Group A, of course, and uh, and they and they faced Alianza Lima um, in, in Peru. A tricky first um, Libertadores tie, but I thought that they probably would have would have enough to win this. But in the end, Tom. It took a last-minute free kick for for River Plate to salvage something. Yeah, definitely, it was um, very close to being a bit of a humbling defeat, as you uh, as you mentioned. But uh, young uh, midfielder Christian Ferreira stepped up and scored an absolutely fantastic free kick right into the top corner. Um, Galesi got a hand on it, but he just couldn't keep it out. And it's actually the I think the second game in a row now that Ferreira scored um, a sensational free kick. You know, Quintero was getting a lot of love for some of the free kicks he's been scoring recently. But the young, the young boy from Cordoba is um, is stepping up and proving he's a really, really exciting talent. And if you've read our previews, then you, you might have seen a, a little mention for him in there as well. So it was personally good to see him get on the on the score sheet again. And I think for it wasn't. River's best performance, but they had a lot of possession. Um, you know, they had a penalty that uh, Santos Borre had saved by by Galesi there. So they they had chances that they you know on another day they could have won it. But fair play to Alianza Lima. They 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 you know they they, they probably found themselves a bit unlucky not to get get the three points as well. So um, at the end of the day, not the worst result for River. A, a draw away from home in the first leg. Uh, first game rather something to build upon and you know it's not you're not losing any ground on anyone really so I think as much as it's a game they probably should be winning they're not going to be too disappointed and and obviously there's also that controversy of uh Gajalo with with another walkie-talkie I mean when will he learn is does he just think he's above the law and and how will Comboll react to it? That's uh, that's going to be an interesting uh, story. And I discovered that they call them handy, a handy. <laughs> in a, you know, I, I've, never, I've never heard it here, so I don't know. Maybe they call it the same here in uh, in Chile, but yeah. But the expression handy in El Palco was a uh, was something new I learned this week. <laughs> yeah, and also I think we've got to mention that uh, River's kit was um, pretty disgusting as well not one of their better ones for a, for a club that usually has iconic kits i thought um i think they got what they deserved for uh, for putting put them out in that that kit yeah i put it to my twitter followers and apparently it's nice so my, my twitter followers have terrible taste in football kits so i wasn't a fan either it's like a training kit yeah not a fan but apparently 53 percent we have to respect the majority if I've learned anything from my new job, it's that sometimes fan polls can be swayed by bad opinions. I'll just leave it at that. I'm a little bit concerned that Simon is bringing Brexit now into the South American football show. That wasn't a reference, was it? I picked up that. Wheel, the wheel of the majority now refers to River Plate's away. <laughs> I'm not going there. I'm saying clear. <laughs> but, <laughs> but I also think we should give some, some love to Alianza Lima as well. Good performance. I, I really like Wilder Cartagena, the defensive midfielder. 
And obviously mm. Pedro Gallese is a good player in goal, very very good goalkeeper at this level. So deserves some love as well. Um, we've heard some people, you know, being quite positive about Alianza Lima. And obviously this is a decent result to kick things off. Could have been much better. But they definitely were competitive. And uh, I think River had an off day as well. Quintero was very disappointing. Brato Borre weren't quite at their best. But uh, a, lot of, a lot of credit as well goes to Alianza Lima. And it's a, a decent start for them as well. Although it could have been better. Much better than what they showed last year in the competition when they pretty much failed to leave a mark on their group during the group stage. So they've already kind of left their mark regardless of what happens from here. Although I think they didn't they start with like a draw against Boca Juniors and then it, and then they lost their other five matches. I, I think I looked that up the other day. So yeah, and a promising start from Lima, but perhaps let's uh, let's wait a couple more games to see if they if they avoid of repeating the. The same disaster as last year. The other game in this group was a game I was at, and that was Palestino nil Internacional of uh, Brazil one. A frustrating game this for the Chileans. There was nothing in it really. Uh, both sides had chances in in sort of the first eighty minutes or so, and then you know with just a few minutes remaining, a free kick from Solis uh, basically. Seemed to catch the Palestino goalkeeper out, but he should have still collected it. Instead, it's, he sort of fumbled it into his near post. It was a free kick out wide. Yeah, very, very frustrating for, for Palestino to lose this because really they, they shouldn't have had that. They, they certainly, like I say, had the chances to, to get something from this one. But having got through the... The qualifying rounds by just edging out Dim, just edging out Dairez. It, it was perhaps maybe a case of their luck running out a little bit. They will now go on to face River Plate behind closed doors in, in Argentina on, uh, on Wednesday night. I think that is. And Alianza Lima, they visit Porto Alegre to take on Internationals. And yeah, like I say, both those games are on Wednesday night. Let's move on to talk about the two games in Group D. And Group D saw perhaps an early shout for one of the dark horses for the competition, though. Austin, I know that you were very impressed with the performance of Liga, Liga de Quito um, in their 2-0 in their win over Peñarol. Yeah, this was, I think, outside of that 5-4 match uh, and maybe Libertad, who we'll get onto in a bit with a 4-1 win against Universidad de Chile, I think this performance by Liga de Quito was maybe the most impressive performance outside of one of the big traditional favorites that we saw this week in, in the Copa Libertadores. Um, I think some of that can probably be attributed to the fact that they faced a Peñarol side that, in all honesty and fairness, have been quite dreadful in this competition, particularly away from home over the past couple of years. It's now seven away matches without a result for Peñarol and 15 without a win in the Libertadores. So maybe not too surprising that they went to Quito and failed to come away with anything. But that shouldn't take away from what was a pretty impressive performance from this Liga de Quito side. A goal in each half, uh, it could have been a lot more. Honestly, they had a lot of chances. Uh, Kevin Dawson, the Uruguayan goalkeeper for Peñarol, had some good saves in the second half. And honestly, it felt like as this second half went on, I got a bit worried for Liga de Quito that they might actually just have thrown away a chance because of all of the chances that they let go missing. But then a really good finish from uh, the Botafogo reject, Rodrigo Aguirre, 
to put this match to bed, finished right through the legs of Dawson, the goalkeeper, to double the lead, and that was the end. The first goal came on a rebound situation. Dawson, the pen-year-old goalkeeper, made a save, but spilled it right to the Argentine defender, Nico Freire, who avid Palmeiras fans will know as Palmeiras legend Nico Freire, who sat the bench 15 times from Palmeiras last year without making a, uh, an appearance. He's now at Liga de Quito and scoring goals, apparently. This is an interesting Liga de Quito side. Uh, they've got Jefferson Orduela, a player that we saw be so good for Independiente del Valle a few years ago. Uh, Aguirre is a player who has a lot of potential uh, coming off the bench. They've got the Julio brothers uh, in attack and, and in the midfield to watch out for. So this is certainly a side that I think you can circle um, in this group and kind of keep an eye on and, uh, and see what happens as they go on in this competition because this was no doubt an impressive performance from them. Yeah, I was I was impressed by Quito as well. I thought they were very good uh, attacking, as you say, a lot of pace, a good balance. Whereas I think Peñarol, I mean, they had Marcel Novik and Walter Gargano in midfield. And they kind of got exactly what you expected, kind of kicking the opposition, but really unable to do anything with the ball. Uh, kind of playing, relying on width and trying to get the ball into the box as quickly as possible. But, you know, while we see kind of an over-reliance on a playmaker in South America at times, Peñarol definitely lacked one. Nobody in the midfield really wanted to get on the ball and pass it and... Uh, it was get it to the touchline and then try and whip it in. But they were really being pushed back by Liga de Quito's good, a pacey attacking play. And it meant that they just couldn't get the ball out for most of the game. Uh, later in the second half, they did a little bit, as you say. Crazy, created a few issues, but it's a very, very limited Peñuel side. They're tough. They're strong. They're committed. They've got a little bit of pace out wide, but a real lack of quality, I think, in midfield in terms of passing the ball. The other game in this group saw Flamengo of Brazil... Uh, one of the giants in this competition, um, survive a scare at altitude. Um, they they travel to Bolivia to face San Jose. Um, Austin, I know that you saw this one as well. In the end, just they, they managed to sort of weather the storm in the first half. Certainly Bolivians were all over them. Um, and then in the second, they just managed to, well, Gabby Gold just managed to show a little bit of class and to seal a very narrow win for, for the Brazilians here. Yeah, I think this was always kind of how Flamengo expected this game to go. Um, San Jose in auto at extreme altitude. Um, you know, we see altitude a lot in this competition. Sometimes that can be seven, 8,000 feet. Um, auto is at, is at 12,000 feet. So you're way off there, and that can be really difficult. Flamengo certainly seemed conscious of that. Uh, it almost looked like they didn't want to run at all in the first half of this match. Diego Alves, their goalkeeper, who was actually looked as though he was going to be out of the club at the end of last year, had a falling out with the previous manager, but is back in, and he was the difference for Flamengo here. He made some really good saves. A couple on you know your stereotypical Brazilian hit or Bolivian hits from distance at altitude, trying to catch an opposing goalkeeper off. He was not caught off guard at any point in this match. Some big saves for him. Uh, a big yellow card for time wasting at 71 minutes, perfectly timed with this side one nil up. So a really impressive performance from Diego Alves. I, I think he was the difference in this match for Flamengo. Yeah, and Adam, as you said, um, Gabriel Barbosa was was probably the most talented player on the pitch. Um, now at a big club like Flamengo after a disastrous stint over in Europe, it was a good finish. Um, he was played in really well. Bruno and Hiki, another former Santos player. Those guys have a pretty good relationship with each other from when they both played for Santos. 
a good ball to play him through, a good run by Gabby Goal, a good finish, boom, Flamengo have the three points. And you you probably favor them to, to go on and be pretty successful in this group, given the fact that they'll now get to play this limited San Jose team at home. They'll get to play a limited Peñarol team twice still. Um, Flamengo should be in good shape. Even had they struggled in this match, I think you'd still favor them to go through. But impressive. San Jose... Um, they're your stereotypical Bolivian side. Uh, a mismatch of players. Boca Juniors legend Carlos Lampe in goal. Uh, poor guy. Thought he was going to start the Libertadores final. In the end, he got three bench appearances for Boca Junior in his time there. Uh, he, he He's in goal for this side. Um, some interesting players. Salcedo, uh, an aging goal scorer who's been scoring a lot in the, Brazil, in, uh, the Bolivian top flight. I don't know why I want to keep calling it the Brazilian top flight. They're very different than each other. Uh, Iker Hernandez, a Basque player in there for San Jose. So a really intriguing San Jose side. They'll have a role to play in this group, I'm sure. At some point, they'll catch somebody off guard in Oro. They might be able to to snatch a point somewhere. Uh, But at the end of the day, the class of Flamengo in goal and in attack, the difference. Indeed. And uh, and next up for Flamengo is is a home game against Liga de Quito, whilst... uh, the Bolivian San Jose, they, they travel to Peñarol, so maybe a chance for the Uruguayan side there to, to get a little bit of a confidence boost. And Adam, very quickly, that Flamengo-Liga de Quito match, I think, might be my pick of the ties for this match week that's coming up. We talked about Quito, they've been impressive. Flamengo, a big club. The Maracanã should have a great atmosphere. That might be my match to watch in, in the second match week. I think that could be a really good matchup. Indeed, indeed. Let's move on to Group H. And uh, and this game saw drama on the field, but also drama off the field after the game. Uh, Libertad ran out 4-1 winners against the Chilean champions, Universidad Católica. Um, it was a strange one, really, from, from the very first minute of this game. Libertad took the lead after about 45 seconds. Long-term listeners will know that you know that we we quite often like Libertad just for the sponsors um, of their shirt, which is Pulp, and uh, and and in this one they gave one of the best performances of uh, of of the Libertadores so far. Uh, a performance with plenty of razzmatazz, and uh, but it it was it, it was strange because. Despite them winning comfortably in, in the end, um, Catolica did have a good spell in sort of the middle period of the game, and they definitely had the chances to, and one big one which, fe- which fell to Saez to make it 2 2 um, ar- around the hour mark. And if that had gone in, who knows how this game would have ended up. But uh, Libertad, after scoring two in the first five minutes, they ended up scoring two late on as well. To, to run out easy winners. Um, but after the game, out the blue, really, for, for anybody outside of Paraguay, anyway, um, their Colombian manager, Lionel Alvarez, uh, was dismissed. Um, it seems to be... Uh, there's two possible reasons why it is, from, from what I've been reading up on. Uh, and I know that Simon will give the reaction in Colombia in a minute. So I'm just going to just briefly mention the one rumour I've been reading today. And, and that's that Alvarez was uh, was dismissed because he was having an affair with the wife of, uh, of one of the players of Libertad. So, yeah, that, that story possibly still has some legs in it and, and will run and run. But 
Simon Alvarez is given a different account, no? To the Colombian press, anyway. Yeah, so after the game, um, it, it appeared as though there was a lot of reports saying that he'd resigned. Um, and apparently he turned up to the club the next day and he wasn't allowed in. And uh, we've seen that actually, that's been proven to be true. Um, and, you know, there's still questions whether the club have announced that he resigns, kind of force him out, uh, or whether it was his decision. It's a strange one. Uh, it's a very telenovela situation, a soap opera kind of situation. We'll we'll find out, I'm sure, in, in due process. But, you know, for a guy with a, a, a mullet and a goatee, it does feel quite fitting to have such a such drama. And he has been surrounded by drama at times. I think he's a very good coach. He's a tough coach. Uh, he's built a good, solid team here in Libertad. Uh, and we'll have to see what happens. But it is unfortunate because... Everything seems to be falling into place for this side. Um, they've had a few struggles in qualifying, but they've also put in some good performances. Everything seems to be falling to the right players at the right time. Adrian Martinez, the striker, always seems to pop up in the right position and put it in. Um, really helping the aged striker, Oscar Cardoso, who's a good focal point as well. Yeah, uh, Alex Mahir in midfield. I, 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 thought, I, I thought Cardoso had a fairly poor game in, in this one, but yeah. Certainly, you're certainly right to to praise Ma- Ma- Martinez, who was who who was excellent and really capitalised on sort of a couple of ricochets in that Catolica back line in the in the first five minutes, and he was there to poke it home. And he's the top goal scorer in this competition at the moment because after all those goals in the qualifying rounds too, it's really hard to know as well, like just how good Libertad are because. They've smashed a couple of teams, but they just seem to be really good at capitalising on those five, ten minute spells where they have a few chances and they put them away. But then they've also shown, you know, a bit of grit and determination to get past Atletico Nacional. And yeah, I I really like them. I think they're quite a fun team. You know, as you've mentioned, Martinez and Cardozo, and they've got lots of uh, good players. Obviously, McNelly in there as well. But it's I, I really can't put my finger on exactly whether they're going to be a team that could make a surprise run to the quarterfinals or something, or are just going to sort of just miss out on the group stage qualification. It's, it, I, yeah, I still need to see a bit more of them, I think. Yeah, the game against the strongest for me was is incredible. They were pretty much completely evenly matched, and Libertad won 5-1 in the end. It was, it. it was a crazy game. Everything flew into the goal, and, and they've had a little bit of that as well in some of the games since. So we have to see. They haven't been dominant, but they've been fairly solid defensively. Leonel Alvarez, for example, against Nacional, picked a side that wasn't working, but then changed things up and got the result. So we have to see. I mean, obviously, he's... Whatever the rumour is, there does seem to be some discontent uh, with his management in the camp, but he has been getting good results and they have been very organised. So we'll have to see what happens moving forward in terms of that, in terms of tactically. They've got a lot of good ingredients, but there's a lot of strong personalities in this group as well. So they need to get the right appointment to keep everyone on track. And Austin, I'll come to you to talk about the other game in this group. Rosario Central drew 1-1 at home to Gremio, the 2017 Libertadores champions, of course. Um, I know that you enjoyed this game, so yeah, tell us more about it. Yeah, a 1-1 draw that I think both teams will be fairly satisfied with. Uh, The goals both came in the first 15 minutes. Uh, Zampedri for Rosario Central on two minutes. And then Everton for Gremio on 13 minutes with what was a really impressive individual effort 
Uh, he dribbled around a couple of defenders and, and then finished cleanly through the Rosario goalkeeper Ledesma. That had it at 1-1. Uh, both teams, I think, had a lot of chances as this match went on. Uh, 1-1, a fair result, I think. And I think both of these teams, as I said, will be pretty content with that. Um, Libertad has, has set the early pace in this group, but I think both Gremio and, and Rosario Central will will like their chances. And this group is shaping up, I think, to be pretty intriguing with Libertad, as we as you guys were touching on, fairly impressive so far, but still some question marks. Uh, Gremio, the 2017 champions, uh, 2018 semifinalists, I think they're even better than they were last year this year. Uh, Felipe Vizeu is, I think, better up top than anything that Gremio had last year. Uh, they've got Walter Montoya and Diego Tardelli as well, who did not feature in this match. Uh, Montoya was on the bench and didn't play. Tardelli not on the bench. He's supposed to make his Gremio debut this weekend in the state leagues. So they're working him up to full fitness. Uh, this is a really talented Gremio side. And I think this is a, just a good result to start their, their group stage. And they'll go on and, and kick on from there. Uh, Rosario Central, uh, impressive. Um, I believe they sacked their manager, Edgardo Bausa, I'm correct in saying, fairly recently. Um, I thought they, they bounced back quite well and, and looked like a, certainly not a, a Bausa-influenced side in this match at all. So credit to them, and I think both these sides will be, will be happy with their start at the group stage, and, and we can expect more excitement from each of these teams as the group stage goes on. I, th- I think with uh, Bowser, it was more of a, a kind of a mutual uh, understanding that they would uh, that they would part ways. I think his his family um, is is back in Ecuador, obviously from his time managing there, and uh, as well as some pretty poor results lately. I think it was kind of a decision that was it was made as much to do with um, off the field issues as it was uh, on the field performances. But definitely very fitting that uh, a club managed by someone called Paolo Ferrari should absolutely fly out of the out of the blocks there and, and race into an early lead. Um, so interesting to see what the the young the young manager can do there. Definitely I think uh, Central will be very happy with this performance against a really good Gremio side. Probably the best performance from uh, of all the Argentinian sides. If you think there were six six games and no wins for for Argentina, this was definitely going to be uh, the one that they'll look most fondly on. So, good start. I think they wouldn't have expected to get much from Gremio. Um, and, yeah, as we've said, they've got a, a fighting chance of of getting something against uh, the other two sides in the group, even though in the league and, you know, I think they were dumped out of the Copa Argentina by a third division side lately. It's it's not been great, but this might be the, the, the competition to kind of kickstart their season again. Yeah, I think as well, uh, there was a crazy, crazy red card. Should have been a red card. Pedro Guillermel ran to the near post and threw an elbow. Nothing given, but that could have given something else to Rosario Central, potentially a, a penalty and a red card for me in that one. And hopefully Rosario can find a way of getting Jalon Barrera on board because I think he'd be a useful addition. Uh, a key part of Junior's sort of Americana run last year seems to have Upset a few people so far in Argentina, not quite fitting with the squad, but he would be a useful addition as well. And they've got Duran Vergara on the bench, who I think could in time become a useful player, a very quick, skillful winger, if he can get himself in the first team. So I think there's a few ingredients Rosario could potentially add 
to, to boost their squad with a bit, bit of creativity and attack. Yeah, a couple of, of penalty shouts on, on both sides. Jeremel was also pulled back in the box a couple of times. So certainly the match, as any match, the Libertadores could have gone differently with maybe a different official. But I think both of these teams, as you said, Tom, will like this result. It sets them up well for the rest of the group stage, and we'll see what happens for both of them going forward. And, uh, and talking of uh, moving forward in this group, we've got... Gremio, who faced Libertad in Porto Alegre on Tuesday night. Uh, that, as we were talking about earlier, will be a real test for the Paraguayans, especially without their manager, who's guided them to this far so far. Um, and Universidad Católica take on Rosario Central in Santiago. A game I'm hoping to attend, but I think it's going to be quite difficult to get in. Let's move on to talk about one of the favourites for this Libertadores, um, and that's Palmares in Group F. They got their campaign off to a very decent start by winning 2-0 away in Colombia against Junior, uh, somewhere where they also won last year. There in Barranquilla. Austin, you must have been delighted with, uh, with Palmares getting off to the, on, on the right foot in, in this one. I think I, I was delighted with the result, and I'm sure that Luis Felipe Scolari Felipe was delighted with the result because this is pretty much how he wants his Palmeiras side to play. This is pretty much the script that they're looking at. Um, an early goal from Gustavo Scarpa, 11 minutes in. They use their talent to score early, and then they are as organized of a side as I think you'll find in South America, which is not something you could say about Palmeiras as recently as about 18 months ago. But they sat behind the ball, but in an effective way. Um, it wasn't as though they were under constant pressure. They were happy to let Junior have the ball. Uh, but it felt like Junior would would make eight to ten passes and, and end up exactly where they started. Uh, and then one more goal late to kill it off. A really good finish by Marcus Rocha. Uh, Miguel Borja was as good as he's been for Palmeiras this year in this match. Dudu has been getting some some publicity for a potential spot in the Brazilian national team. He was quite good in this match as well. Um, Ricardo Goulart adds another really talented player to the midfield for Palmeiras. Uh, this was as composed and as strong of a performance as Palmeiras will give. And this is the recipe for Palmeiras, particularly away from home. Score early, defend, score again, finish the match. And that's what they did here. One final moment that I wanted to point out from this match, uh, a moment that only the Copa Libertadores could bring. About 20 minutes into this match, Sebastian Vieira, the junior goalkeeper, stepped up to take a free kick and was denied quite well by the Palmeiras goalkeeper, Weberton. A sprawling save to his right on the free kick that Vieira had, had sent missling towards the top corner. So goalie on goalie crime, Copa Libertadores, exactly what you'd want to see. Simon Teo Gutierrez got himself sent off in this match for junior, but you were quite impressed with Palmeiras as well. It's not free-flowing, it's not Samba Fuch, but... It's impressive and it gets the job done. Three points. Yeah, no, absolutely. I was very, very impressed with how they managed the game. They came out of the blocks really well, really put pressure on Junior and attacked for 20 minutes, got their goal. That was enough, sat back, got a second goal at the end. And I think Junior moved the ball quite well in this game. But they never really looked like scoring, which I think is largely... Uh, down to Palmeiras, this excellent organisation. You mentioned Dudu, uh, an important attacking player at times, but he was so good, so quick to close down Victor Cantillo, who was the the best player in terms of passing for Junior. Luis Diaz providing that is such a good touch. 
such a really just plucks the ball out of the sky effortlessly. Really good balance. Definitely a player to keep watching. I'm surprised he's still here in Colombia. Um, lots of links with Brazil and Argentina, and I think that is a move that's coming. Uh, generally, Junior, again, they passed the ball well. They were overwhelmed at the beginning by Palmeiras, and then they couldn't quite get the movement. Silly second yellow by Teofilo. He always seems to do it. Um, playing as kind of a lone striker, again, he needs players close to him to be effective, so that can work, but he'll need Diaz getting up with him very quickly. Matias Fernandes had a really poor first half, but came better in the second half. Um, I think Willa Dita at the back, again, is a big, big drop-off of, from Jefferson Gomez, who's actually injured at the moment. Uh, him and uh, Gabriel Fuentes, who's good going forward, struggled on that left-hand side. And I think another day they could have been exposed a little bit more. Three or four mistakes um, involved in the, the second goal as well. Um, so, Junior can play some decent stuff, an attractive side with good quality, but they need a bit more movement and they need a bit more invention. But this is Palmeiras. I think most teams are going to need a little bit of luck to bring down what is a very, very organised side. Incredibly impressive, if not particularly exciting. Uh, a bit of time-wasting, a bit of tactical fouls, a bit of Felipe Melo. But on top of that, a lot of organisation and a lot of very good disciplined professional performance from the Brazilians. The other game in this group was perhaps the contender for the worst game of the week for those who watched it, which luckily I didn't, as I've learnt my lesson before with Melgar and, uh, and San Lorenzo too, to be fair, um, as those two sides played out uh, pretty dull nil-nil. What that means is next week, Palmeiras face Melgar at home, which looks like a three-point banker. And San Lorenzo are at home to Junior, which is a very interesting game, as you would think that those two sides are probably battling it out for second place in this group. Okay, let's move on to talk about another team who survived a scare at altitude. We spoke about Flamengo earlier. Well, Boca Juniors travelled to, to Cochabamba to, to, to take on Jorge Wilstermann in, in Bolivia, and, um, and they ended up getting a nil-nil draw, but it was slightly fortunate, wasn't it, Tom? Oh, yeah, definitely. I mean, I, there's obviously a fair bit of altitude at uh, Cochabamba, not maybe as much as Quito or La Paz, but we've seen we've seen teams suffer there. You know, River play in the past have lost there in when Jorge Wilson went on that amazing run, and yeah, it's it was a really poor performance from Boca. I think they only had maybe a first shot on target in the 89th minute. Um, they, they did have a couple of chances. Nandez went close late in the game as well. Um, but realistically, it was it was all Jorge Wilsterman. Um Obviously, King Eddie keeping keeping Tevez quiet, um, which was you know we we all expected that anyway. Um, but at the end of the day, even though Boca's performance left a lot to be desired, you know they've they've survived the altitude. It's not an end of the world result really for them. I think you know the worries will be about the style of playing they're playing under Alfaro. But yeah, you take a nil or draw away from uh, Wilsterman. Um, Live to fight another day, and and you know bank that you you'll do you do the business um, at home. Um, Andrada made a really good save um, to keep them in the game. Um, really big double chance for Wilsterman. That's probably the, the the best chance. And and Christian Bochi Chavez was was peppering the goal. A lot of looping 
shots um, in the altitude there. And it was interesting to see him go back to Boca because he he was kind of the unfortunate guy uh, who, who had the number 10 shirt after Raquel May hung up his boots. So he was, he was on a, a hiding to nothing really with that. And he's kind of had a bit of a nomadic career ever since. I think that was a bit of a mental scarring and he's never really recovered from it. But he was determined to score against his old club, but he, he couldn't quite get it. And yeah, um, Boca, a lot of work still to be done, to be honest. I mean, they had a midfield of, I mean, some good players, Marconi, Almendra, Hernandez, Reynoso. But I don't really get how that kind of functions as a as, as a as a good midfield. They're all kind of more central base players. There's no, there's no width. I mean, we know Nandes can provide a bit of width, but realistically, you've kind of got a a pretty narrow diamond. And with with the likes of Buffarini and Mass, who are who had well past their best at fullback, there was just there really wasn't too much width. And and it was a it was a a poor Boca side that's still kind of trying to figure out just what it is. I thought Zarate brought on a bit more threat towards the end, um, but realistically, it was um, yeah one one to forget for for Boca and and perhaps a bit of a mischance for for Wilsterman. Tom, I was a bit surprised by Wilsterman's tactics in this match because it felt like the entirety of their game plan was to just hit thirty yard rockets and hope that they caught Andrada out on one of them, which just didn't seem like the way to try to beat this Boca side. Okay, they got a point from it, but. We've seen what this Wilsterman team can do, or maybe more importantly, not do when they go away from home. They probably needed to get three points from this match, particularly the way they played. And it kind of just felt like they settled for just whacking it at any chance that they could see the goal from distance and hope that they got one to go. And I just thought that they could have been a bit better in this match. Uh, did you agree with that? Did you sense that too? Yeah, definitely. I think, like I said, they were just... It's like we all know that the altitude is a factor, and I think most teams have caught on, cottoned on to the fact that you know if you let rip from range, then sometimes they can fly in. But when you're just doing that over and over again, it was very predictable, and it was enough for uh, you know, admittedly, not the most inspiring Boca side, but a defensively solid one. And Andrade's a good keeper; he's got called up to the Argentinian national team, um, and yeah, Lopez and Izquierdos will be able to deal with high balls all day so yeah I, I think there was uh, definitely a bit of a inferiority complex about um Wilsterman and if they'd really just gone for it and tried to rip through them with a bit of pace and get down the flanks and expose them that way then then I think they could have had some joy so yeah like I said a bit of a missed opportunity although once again as we've seen in this first round of fixtures I think quite a lot of teams just quite happy to not start on a losing foot and and sort of take the point and build from there but I think we'll look back maybe in the last round and at some of these fixtures and say you know what if you if you play with a bit more adventure there you it could have been a decisive result uh, the way things pan out so interesting to see how this group progresses from here um, I think Boca is still going to be very confident of proceeding um, and yeah if Wilston Wilsterman show a bit more ambition then, then there's no reason why they can't go on another King Eddie inspired run again was he man of the match though that's the big question for the Copa Libertadores bingo I think he just fell short <laughs> of that for me yeah probably probably not he was um certainly the biggest man on the pitch I'll give him that <laughs> indeed one one other question I was going to ask you Tom Tevez's situation under the new boss Alfaro it seemed quite interesting because it seems like he was sort of cast out to begin with but now he's in the starting 11 in the 
two or three games I've seen Boca play um, under Alfaro. So it, he, he seems now a starter, which is perhaps surprising, certainly to anybody who saw a lot of Tevez and Boca last year, where, where he was quite often a weak link in the side. Yeah, I think that's something that's... Yeah, a, a huge mistake from Alfaro. Obviously, Tevez has huge political power within the club and is obviously one of the bigger earners as well. So there's going to be pressure to play him. Someone like Barry Hekiloto probably had the the name and the profile to be able to to bench him. And uh, yeah, I thought Tevez was just going to kind of while away the remainder of his career because he's not done anything for, for quite a long time, especially after that breakout in China. And Zarate definitely has been more effective he's more of that kind of second striker number 10 who who looks to be the more creative one but Tevez has been given the number 10 shirt he's been given some of the starts he's put in a few decent performances lately but I don't think it gets the best out of the side and doesn't get the best out of Benedetto either which is you know more important um so I think he could once again be more of a hindrance than than a, than a help and Alfaro I mean, he's done well at, at smaller clubs like Huracan and Tigre, um, but when he's at, when he's had a chance at bigger jobs, he's he just hasn't seemed to quite make the step up. He's a bit of a bit of a Sean Dyche, if uh, to give give our English listeners something of a comparison. Good at maybe a more limited back to the walls kind of club, but if he was given a bigger job, then maybe his a uh, his. Uh, ability to handle the bigger names and and go for a more attacking style gets found out the sean dyche of south american football ouch poor alfaro what did <laughs> i don't know if he eats worms that? though <laughs> yeah a bit harsh but hey okay um let's move on to talk about the other game in this group which saw Tolima, the colombian champions from last year um Gain a 1 0 victory over the newly named Atletico Paranense of, of Brazil, the Sudamericana reigning champions, of course, as well. Simon, you, you saw this one. It seemed like a very tight game from what I've read and heard. Um, so the Colombians must be delighted they, they sneaked this one. Yeah, absolutely. It was a nervy, a nervy debut from the Colombians. Uh, Paranense is a strong side, dynamic side. Um, so it was it was a great result for the Colombians. I think they were they made a few changes since last year when they won the championship. Last year they were very attacking, would get forward three or four players running at pace. Marco Perez, the main guy in the middle, Omar Albornoz, and then they had a few other guys. Some of them have gone. They kind of made a few changes tactically since. Uh, the Christmas break, they brought in Daniel Catania, who's a good playmaker, but not as pace. He doesn't quite fit the mould in the same way. Jason Gordillo, again, another tough, solid, reliable midfielder. So they've kind of gone a little bit more conservative in the league. But when it came to this Libertadores game, I think they got it right tactically in in as far as they, they went back to what they've been doing well, kept it simple. In the league, they're going to be uh, a side that's respected and teams will sit back and defend and you know, they've they've had a good last 12 months, so teams are a bit more careful. So maybe they're looking to balance that off with a bit of creativity, a bit more conservative. But in the Libertadores, they went again with the pace. And I think that is going to be key for them. That isn't how they got the goal. They got the goal from a set piece, a really dodgy save from Santos Keep, uh, the 
Paranaense keeper Santos, who parried a very tame header into the path of Banguero, who just knocked it in, and and, uh, that was enough on the night. Not the most comfortable of wins by any means, but a, a win that was came through with good organisation, good solid play. I think the key for Tolima in this group and hearing everything about the lack of width of Boca Juniors and uh, the potential issues at fullback, I think that's going to be uh, music to the ears of Tolima with uh, with Omar Albones, the, the left winger, and uh, Banguero as well pushing on. That's going to be so key. That pairing is really good going forward. Albonas is one of the quickest players in this tournament. Long-legged, tall, athletic, direct winger. He put a lot of good balls into the box as well. That was really the main outlet. On the right-hand side, the Venezuelan international Luis Gonzalez had a very quiet game. Everything was coming down the left. So I think with uh, Marco Perez in the box, a big number nine, a a good forward, a dynamic target man striker, I think this Tolima side have a system that's going to work quite well in this tournament. I expect them to be particularly good away from home on the, on the counter. Uh, if they can hold things together defensively, and I think they have the personnel to be fairly solid, um, they can they can really hit teams on the break. Good goalkeeper in Alvaro Montero as well. So this wasn't the game where Tolima showed their best, but I think the setup indicates that this is the right system to get them some results, particularly in this group, where I think having pace out wide uh, could could suit them quite well. Um, but uh, a, a decent a decent result. Uh, Austin, what did you think of Paranaense? Yeah, very quickly on Atletico. Um, they are the only team in Brazil that, for lack of a better term, punts the state leagues. Uh, they play a largely under-23 squad. So this was actually the first official match for Atletico in 2019. Um, obviously, a month and a half after all the other teams in Brazil have debuted. So it looked like they came in a little undercooked to this match. Um, I didn't think they played excessively poorly, but there were just a couple of moments where it felt like, uh, you know, a couple of matches in the bag for them already this year would have been better. Um, The moment on the goal, obviously, as you said, Santos, you can't save it right to the Tolima player. That's going to cost you. And on the night, it ended up doing that. A tough start for Atletico. They obviously have enough to get out of this group yet. Big match coming up at home on the artificial pitch against Jorge Wilstermann. You think they probably need three points from that match next week. So let's see how they come back next week with now a match under their belt. Um, Just interesting to kind of mention that approach because that does differ from what just about everybody else does in Brazil. And maybe that, that caught them out a bit in this match. Okay, the next couple of games up in this group are Boca Juniors at home to Tolima and Atletico Paranense take on Wilsterman at home. Uh, so we know a lot more about which way this group is heading after those matches. Let's move on to another group and that is Group B which saw a floodlight failure of all things between um, Deportivo Lara and Emelec. Austin, I know that you were keeping a close eye on, on this uh, on this clash. It got moved to the Friday afternoon in the end, and uh, after all the wait, it ended goalless. Yeah, very quickly, uh, as many of our listeners, specifically those who are in tune with South America, know, um, some political issues in Venezuela, no doubt. Um, those had an effect on the power grid this week. And that actually did affect this Lara Emelec match. They were able to get some of the floodlights on in the stadium for what was 
scheduled to be a late night Thursday match behind closed doors, which, man, if that doesn't whet your appetite for the Copa Libertadores, I don't know what will. Uh, but they weren't able to get enough of the lights on to play, so this match was moved to the afternoon on the next day. Uh, a missed penalty for Emelec, Brian Angulo. Um, that was really the only moment of note in this match. Nil-nil. Um, they probably could have just not played and given out the point and nobody would have really complained. I mean, they probably would have complained. But this was definitely a match that you didn't really need to see to kind of get what happened in this match, if you catch what I'm saying. And the other game in this group saw Cruzeiro pick up a fairly impressive 1-0 victory on the road away to Huracan. Tom, this was another disappointing um, display from an Argentinian side this week, no? Yeah, yes and no. I thought... I mean, they were the only Argentinian side to lose, but I think they were a little bit hard done by. I mean, Cruzeiro had a, what, a couple of chances and were efficient and scored one and, you know, did did well to, to manage the game very professionally. And I think that's the difference there. You know, Cruzeiro side are, are more accustomed to this kind of uh, fixture and, and just they're just that little bit better at seeing a game out, even when they aren't particularly pressing or, or making making the chances it was but I think you know Gan had chances um late on they were piling on a lot of pressure there was a, a long range spilled and Barrios had a lot of near near misses so I think I think that's literally different... the last like five years for Lucas Barrios isn't it oh, he had a <laughs> lot of near misses yeah exactly I mean yeah this Uragan side especially since they've lost Alfaro and, and some of their bigger names over uh, in, in recent years that then they're not they're nothing special, and again, there's there's a lot of you know talk about these Argentinian sides that qualify, but then have to wait ages. And by the time they they actually get round to the the tournament they've qualified for, it's a completely different side. So yeah, they're, they're not going to pull up any trees here. But I thought they were a little bit unlucky, maybe not to to get a draw. It was a really wet night in in Argentina, kept a lot of the fans away because basically Argentinians don't go out in the rain um, and the Estadio Tomas Adolfo Luco is an amazing iconic stadium but it's not got much protection from the elements so I don't think that helped the quality of this game either I mean you know it, it's slightly improved um, but yeah in the end it was um, Rodriguinho's one goal there after after 30 minutes um, you know a, a nice a nice little through ball and, and, and a good good finish there he squeezed it in and I think Cruzeiro will be will be happy be happy with it, but I don't think it was necessarily the worst Argentinian performance uh, this week, even if it was their the worst result for them. Also, Tom, worth mentioning that in the second half of this match, after it had already rained for about an hour, endless, we got some puddle football. The sprinklers also came on in this match, which is exactly <laughs> what the pitch needed at that point. You got to keep it nice and uh, you know keep the consistency of, of that rainfall just keep on coming down. You know, you don't want to have. Uh, unfair in advantage for in, in the second half and adam also that was something you missed on the uh Copa libertadores bingo you didn't have sprinklers coming on in the middle of any match so uh, take notes for next yeah, year i think i'll have to add that one onto the list next year along with a couple of other bizarre things we've already experienced in in this year's edition i also missed off um just a just a quick note on this group of the games coming up this week uh Cruzeiro at home to deportivo lara and Emelec are at home to Huracan. Um, so, yeah, that should be an interesting tie to look out for. The last group we need to cover is Group E. And 
last week saw Sarah Porteño grab one of the possibly one of the most impressive results of the week actually but they went away to Brazil beat Atletico Mineiro uh, 1-0 um, and Austin this was a little bit of a shock result for Brazilians no to suffer a shock result in the sense that Atletico Mineiro have been really good at home in the Libertadores um not necessarily a shock result in that Atletico Benito have underperformed because that's kind of what they've done for years now. They failed to really create a whole lot. I think this is a really impressive Cerro Porteño side. We saw them last year be quite successful in this competition. They obviously gave Palmeiras a run for their money. Um, I thought they played quite well here and, and kind of deserved the three points that they ended up getting. Uh, Diego Churin, it was maybe a bit of a fluky goal. He scored it with his knee. A really good cross from Santiago Arismendia, who's a, a player that we've really liked in this competition for a couple of years now. A bit surprising, maybe, that he's still in Paraguay. But he provided the ball. Churin had the finish. And Cedro Patania were able to snatch the three points here. Again, for Atletico Mineiro, um, we've said this for years now, just less than the sum of their parts. Um, they just should be better than they are. There's a lot of good players in this squad, but they just underperform all too often in, in this competition and in all competitions. So a tough result here for them. By no means the end of the line for them in what is, in all honesty, a very forgiving group. But this is a great result for Cerro Porteño. I don't think the other two teams are going to be able to go into Belo Horizonte and come away with three points. So this sets them up very nicely to get out of this group. And we've seen them already be dangerous. Who wants to talk about Nationale's win away to Zamora? Tom, yours kind of a Uruguayan guy. Sometimes I did not watch this game though. I can Very tell you briefly. what I can here. I'll 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 tell you what happened, Tom. Nacional yeah. scored on 24 minutes. Vergesio, okay, solid so, yeah. finish. And then Nacional did what Nacional do. <laughs> uh, the lights went out for like a split second in the uh, second half. That had a lot of injury time, so we had seven minutes of injury time. And uh, Zamora pushed a little bit. Actually, it was like 11 by the end of it. Zamora pushed a little bit. Had a chance. Oh, no, they didn't score. And Nacional won. won nothing. End of story. Okay, and in this Group E, the fixtures for this week are Nacional. They take on Alessio Mineiro at home and Cerro Porteño take on Zamora at home. So Nacional and Cerro Porteño both got good away wins in that first week, as you've just heard. So they'll be looking to really consolidate their position as one and two in the group. Um, with with home victories and they would be very well set indeed if they did that I think that basically we're, we're at the end of this week's South American football show perhaps Austin you can tell the listeners where people can find you and I also want you to tell me your goal of the week and player of the week you can find me on Twitter at Austin underscore James 906 I would also encourage the listeners who are looking to find out more about South American football at the Sudamericana for all the latest from those competitions. Goal of the week it is Patricio Rubio's finish against Sporting Cristal. And player of the week is also Patricio Rubio. You don't score four goals and get gypped out of player of the week honors in my book. I agree with those two choices. Simon? Yeah, so Twitter at Simon Edwards SAF. Yeah, the other Rubio goal. <laughs> he, got, he got a couple of nice ones. I love the, the volley off the top of the top of the bar as well. There's a couple of really good goals in there for Rubio. And Tom? Yeah, you can uh, follow me at TomRub89 on Twitter. Um, and yeah, I've got a, a little piece up on uh, some of the... Uh, 
Ecuadorian under 20 guys. So check that out. Um, for me, goal of the goal of the week, Christian Ferreira, beautiful free kick. Um, and yeah, what a, what a moment to get that equaliser as well for the youngster. Okay, so all that's left to say is a huge thanks to Tom, Simon and Austin for joining me on this edition. You can find me at AdamBrandon84 on Twitter. Keep an eye on there for, for the latest updates, especially from the, from the Chilean clubs in the, in the Libertadores and the, and the latest in the Chilean league as well. And I'd also like to say a huge thanks to our listeners as ever for joining us on this podcast and it's goodbye.